Support for Live in 225 is provided in part by the Griff Family Center for Organic Production and Research at Cal Poly. For more information or to support the center, please visit organic.calpoly.edu. That's organic.calpoly.edu for the Grimm Family Center for Organic Production and Research at Cal Poly. Support for Live in 225 is provided in part by AgCom Central. Visit AgCom Central on twitch.tv forward slash AgCom Central or on our website, agcomcentral.com, where you can follow our social media. That's twitch.tv forward slash A-G-C-O-M-M Central for AgCom Central. Support for Live in 225 is provided in part by the Department of Agricultural Education and Communication at Cal Poly. Visit aged.calpoly.edu to register for our programs or to show your support. That's aged.calpoly.edu for the Department of Agricultural Education and Communication at Cal Poly. Good morning, everybody. This is Live in 225. This is Season 1, Episode 5 of our podcast and live stream series about organic production. Um, and today is going to be, we're going to be discussing um, organic certification and organic policy, kind of what that process looks like, the history of organic certification, and how that might have changed over the past, over the past few decades and like the, the whole journey of organic production. Um, so today we're joined by um, Ag Communication student and production team uh, member Amy, who has helped um, produce this episode and just get all of the information that we need to get this discussion flowing. Uh, we have Dr. Grishup, who is um, the head of the, the Grimm Family Center for Organic Production Research that's upcoming right at Cal Poly. <laughs> and we have Dr. Mike with us, who is our kind of like commander in chief for this Whoa. whole journey Whoa. and he's been helping us out with this podcast and all of the tech stuff and really helping us get the ball rolling. I always wanted to be a chief. <laughs> <laughs> and we have um, a special guest sitting in with us on Zoom today. We have the, Calif uh, the California Certified Organic Farmers um, Livestock Certification Supervisor, Miss um, Kelly Corman. They're very lovely to have you on the show today. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so again, we're just going to get this discussion going. We're going to be um, talking about organic certification and organic policy and really just what's that What's that all about. Um, but first, I wanted to pass it over to uh, Ms. Corman. Could you describe your journey with CCOF and um, kind of your the role that you play as a livestock certification supervisor? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think it's worth mentioning I actually got my master's in women's studies from the University of Florida. And there I studied tenets of self-reliance in relation to growing one's own food. I started a student organization that ran the student ag gardens there. And I became involved with local farms and, and nonprofits related to agriculture. And that was really how I got my foot in the door in organic certification. I ended up eventually working with University of Florida IFAS Extension as a food system specialist for a couple years. And, you know, when CCOF interviewed me, I was applying as a farm certification specialist. So I wanted to be a farm reviewer. And they asked me, tell us what's your favorite part of the organic movement? 
And from the couple years I spent working at Quality Certification Services, who certifies several Amish dairies, uh, I came to really fall in love with organic livestock production and just what a night and day difference it really is from conventional. And I told them so. I was like, I am applying as a farm reviewer. I love being on farms. I love farming, but I really am passionate about organic livestock. And at that point, I had gotten a certificate as a master herdsman from UF IFAS Extension and had dabbled in some livestock. And they came back and they said, we really want you to do what you love. So we're actually going to create this new position. It's a livestock certification service specialist. And you'll get to like take all these calls, customer service calls for all of our livestock operations. And we're going to get you some real training. And I just can't even believe like what a blessing that was that I got to pursue my passion with this organization that really took a shot on me. And they sent me to IOIA uh, for livestock inspecting. I got a certificate in that. I went to Iowa and studied there. Um, I've learned a ton from speaking with our organic livestock producers every single day for the past six years. And a couple years ago now, I was promoted to supervisor of the certification team and it's just fantastic. We have such a solid team. It's it is such a joy to work with them every day. Six years later, I just can't believe my luck I get to be there. So, you know, CCOF's a fairly large certifier. We certify, I think, 4,000 operations in the U.S. and Mexico and uh, not a ton of livestock, though. It's under 200 livestock operations and a lot of our livestock operations are facing a lot of crises right now. So we're trying to support them as best we can in that. Yeah, could you describe a little bit more about what that entails and what kind of um, livestock productions you're working closely with? Yeah, so we have a lot of layer operations, some broiler operations. We have beef cattle, dairy. Um, we have some pig operations, some sheep operations. Over the years, we've had some unique ones like some crickets or we have one honey producer in Hawaii. Are you so, talking about like the insect cricket? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, you know, they are a potential alternative protein source. So oh, folks got them certified. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people even certify insects as feed because uh, you can only feed organic animals. Anything agricultural, you can only feed them certified organic agricultural products. So if they're wanting to feed insects on a large scale, they might have like mealworms certified or something like that. But that is less common compared to cattle, dairy, and uh, layer operations. Definitely, I'd say so. That's, that's very interesting. Um, we can definitely come back to the discussion of um, what it means to be organically certified and what that means for producers. But I wanted to just dive a little bit into um, the the history of organic certification, kind of how it came to be. Um, so I wanted to pass it over to Dr. Grishup. Could you describe um, kind of how organic certification started and really how the movement began? Yeah, and, that, and I would absolutely invite Kelly to correct me when I misstate something. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the history of certification, well, it's actually interesting. So Kelly and I were just talking before the podcast, and um, CCOF is about to have its 50th anniversary. So they were um, founded in 1973. 
Um, and the original certifiers, this, so this greatly predates the federal organic program, which really, you know, was signed, well, really came into law in 2002. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, uh, we've got uh, certification starting um, back in the 1970s, and CCOF is one of the original ones. Um, Oregon Tilth is another early one. Rodale had an early certification scheme that is uh, since defunct. Um, and they were third-party certifiers. And basically what was happening at that moment in time is the, the, the way I like to say it is organic farming was growing from, you know, folks buying, you know, watermelons from the crazy hippie farmer out of the back of their pickup truck to wanting to buy products in natural food stores and, and small mm-hmm. chain co-ops, things like that. And so the, the issue that comes up is that if you're not buying directly from the grower, how do you know that they're actually producing things organically? And so that's where third-party certification was born. And most of the early certifiers had a strong um, farmer component. So farmer membership on the board, um, farmers uh, providing certification of other farms, et cetera. Um, That really changed in 2002 when the federal standards came out. And actually there was a kind of a big die-off of a lot of um, local certification agents at that point, because one of the one of the requirements for the National Organic Program, which certifies the certifiers, was that you couldn't have farmers doing inspections. You actually had to have independent inspectors. You're supposed to rotate your inspect, so you're not supposed to have the same inspector over and over again. And that's all, you know, really about making sure that, um, you know, there's no sort of backroom dealing going on, that, that there's a, you know, that everything is upfront and consumers can be confident in the fact that, yes, Certified organic means something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's really a reflection of, again, sort of the next growth of organic production. So, you know, it went from small operations with a lot of direct sales to local sales to local chain stores and things like that to now where we have organic pro, you know, products that are, you know, have fully integrated into our really the global food system. So, you know, you can go to any grocery store and find organic products. Yeah. And so that's, that's my understanding of, of sort of the history of certification. Yeah. And Kelly, you can correct me if I'm way off base on anything. I think you're totally spot on. You really captured it well. At CCOF, sometimes they do a really great presentation of their you, their history at CCOF. And we've seen photos of just like a few folks at the kitchen table. That was where it all happened. There was one sheet of paper with the set of rules on it that they kind of checked the boxes on. It was a lot simpler. but the integrity and the passion was really there and it just gained all this momentum into this really well-established movement and yes you're correct so in 1990 the organic food production act was passed and went into effect in 2002 and now we see the government accredits certifiers so every year or every so often we go through an accreditation audit to make sure we are still equipped to say folks can use the seal And would you say that this whole organic certification and kind of what shape it's taken today is was really just kickstarted by um, folks and producers in the 50s and 60s um, just wanting to treat the land better, um, grow, grow natural food and really just um, think about the inputs of what we're putting into um, agriculture and how that affects the products? Absolutely. I think all of it's built on itself. I think there's, I'm sure, a lot of, and I mean, I'm not positive on all of the distinct nuances, but I'm sure there's a lot of indigenous wisdom and wisdom from all sorts of folks that have come here and grown food sustainably over the years and that has been built upon 
with this, you know, it's interesting that there are some food safety related standards like about manure applications, for instance, trying to legitimize some of these growing approaches for the masses. So um, mm -hmm. I think it's been just kind of always a work in progress and now we just have it more formalized. Yeah, um, that kind of brought me, that kind of made me remember um, a previous podcast episode where we had um, a liberal studies professor, Dr. Amanda Fry on the show and she talked about um, the different cultural practices that are really implemented in organic production and kind of how that ties back into um, different cultures roots and I thought that was really interesting. Um, but as of as of today, as um, as of the as of 2018, that's the data that I have. Um, there's approximately 2.8 million organic producers worldwide, uh, with a global market greater than 100 billion U.S. dollars. Um, with the U.S. being the leading country in organic production. Um, so with that with that statistic in mind, I just wanted to open up the table for discussion. Like, what's in it for a producer to be to become a organically certified? Like, what's in it for them if we're the leading country in organic production? And it's really just an industry that's taking off. A lot of consumers um, are really enjoying organic produce and they really want more of that. So what's in it for producers? Despite how much it's taken off, I think organic food only constitutes 5% of our global food supply at the moment. That's not a lot, you know, and I, I mean, I, I'm not positive on that, but I think it's around there. Um, so on the one hand, on the most basic level, being able to use the organic seal is showing off your good work. It takes so much more management to comply with these regulations and establish an ongoing crop rotation and not use certain inputs. You have to really build your the health of your plants and your well, ecosystem in order to avoid using those materials. Not to mention, sometimes just accidents happen. So all the training that has to go into your system and your staff to make sure that accidents don't happen and things. And then, you know, on the livestock side, it truly is just a night and day difference compared to non-organic production. And yeah, could you describe a little bit about um, what that entails? Sure. So, you know, there's, a, there's standards pertaining to living conditions of animals. So they have to have clean, dry bedding, access to fresh, clean water. They have to have access to the outdoors at all times. Uh, you know, as, as described in their organic system plan. So, you know, they'll have this plan with us where they tell us how they will comply with the regulations. And that plan includes any possible confinement for what reason, right? If it's inclement weather or the stage of life of the animal, but in general, they have a lot of outdoor access and it's on organic land. So the animals, ruminants also are required to comply with the pasture rule. So they have to consume at least 30% of their dry matter intake from pasture over the grazing season, which must not be less than 120 days per year. So the feed that they're feeding them all has to be organic. And then the amount that they're grazing is very strictly measured and monitored. So it's not just like, let's keep them confined all day, eating a bunch of GMO alfalfa and milking them. It's really, a whole management system that they've had to seriously invest in. And it's as much as everything has gained momentum, it's still this true ongoing battle. I mean, we've lost a lot of organic livestock producers this year because of the cost of organic feed. Mm -hmm. And that's happened for a lot of reasons, whether it be drought or import issues, etc. So it's it's truly an ongoing battle as much as it has gained traction. 
I have a question. I just want to jump in here a little bit and, and ask. Uh, and I know I say this every podcast. Matt says, you know, um, conventional versus agriculture. It's not a fight. It's more along the lines of like, how can we coexist together and, and make things better? But I, I, I always wonder, like, what's the incentive uh, to uh, you know, for a, for a farmer to transition from uh, conventional agriculture to you know organic agricultural production practices like what's the political or the policy incentive or or what are what inc- what incentives exist for um a, an organic producer you know i think that so much work has to go into it that part of it has to be like on some kind of soul level or some kind of internal level you just care about the environment and the ecosystem and the health of the planet and your fellow people and do you want to pursue it because Yes, you can get a premium, right? And you can have the seal to show that you're meeting these standards. But at the end of the day, that premium is only happening because you're spending more putting into your farm. So I think that to me, the incentive is that you like CCOF envision a world where organic is the norm and you want to be a part of that. And you don't want to continue to see GMOs and toxic chemicals destroying our environment. You know, we all benefit from organic agriculture. So I I couldn't tell you like, oh, there's just specific monetary value reason. I mean, I know there have been studies that folks have transitioned and actually had stronger yields like from their stronger soil. So it's I think that there are tangible like financial benefits like you can get this premium you can show higher yields in some instances and sometimes it's honestly just a lot harder and you're doing it because you're passionate. And that's just the reality. So, you know, something that I I think those premiums are really important because those provide the growers with some level of offset so they can support sort of like the the margin hit that they're going to see as they transition. And, you know, one common story I've seen in working with the organic industry in multiple states over multiple, you know, over decades at this point is a lot of growers that I interact with who move into organics, and this is more of a plant ag, well, the one grower I'm thinking of actually was an integrated hog and, and uh, you know, field crop system, um, which is really the only way you can grow organic hogs. I mean, because the feed costs will just kill you if you're not growing oh them gosh. yourself. Um, they'll start usually with their worst field. They'll say, oh, well, you know, uh, in the Midwest, at least, there's the sort of get big or get out, right? Farm consolidation, bigger and bigger farms. And so I've, I've worked with a number of folks in a number of crops in the Midwest where it's like, well, no, I want to stay at 100 acres of, of specialty crops, or I want to stay at 15 to 2,000 acres of, of row crops. I don't want to get any bigger, but I can't do that. I, I mean, you know, if I, if I keep working in the conventional system, I'm, I either have to get bigger or I'm going to get priced out. And that little bit of premium sort of allows growers to sort of play around with that. So what I've seen time and time again is growers will come in, they'll usually transition their absolutely worst ground, which is not always a great method for success. But after a few years, they get it going, they enjoy the premium, they start to see, you know, the impacts of feeding the soil rather than just you know, dumping mineralized nutrition on the soil. They enjoy the fact that, hey, I can bring my kids out here because there's no you know, there, there are no synthetic herbicides or insecticides or fungicides out here where I have to worry about my kid, you know, getting poisoned. Um, and then pretty soon they're transitioning more and more of their farm. And, you know, I worked with a number of growers in the Midwest who were able to maintain a scale that they wanted, you know, for the lifestyle of farming and for continuing, 
you know, farming for the next generation. They didn't need to, you know, accumulate half a section of land every decade just to stay in the game. Um, so I, I think that's a really important piece I see. But I don't know how many times I've talked to growers and there's some really large organic producers in California that fit this model where they start out in organics really small. You know, after four or five years, they're like, wow, this is different. The margins are different. Um, and the, the they, they see the environmental benefits. And then pretty soon, you know, more and more of their operation is certified organic. And Grimway is the perfect example of this. They started in the 90s, straight ahead Central Valley carrot producers. And now they all of their owned and farmed land for Grimway Enterprises is certified organic. 40,000 acres of ground is certified organic. And they really started with their absolute worst fields and, and built it from the ground up. But that I, I see that story over and over again. And that's where I think the certification and integrity of the brand and everything is so important because without that consensual price premium from the consumer, it's, it's not gonna happen because you can't compete with you know, if, if you are trying to take care of your soil, try to improve air, water, and soil quality, trying to, you know, have good animal husbandry standards of its livestock, and you're trying to compete with folks who are kind of working the opposite model, which is, no, you, you know, we're just going to do whatever we have to to grow this thing, plant or animal, as cheap as possible. You can't, you can't survive in, in the marketplace. And, and, and I just wanted to, to ask or add to um, uh, Dr. Grisham, you, you probably know some of the, the policies that encourage conventional agricultural production, correct? Are there like financial incentives at the policy level for con conventional producers? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we've, it, it, it varies so much from ag crop, it's, it's from plant to plant, animal to animal. So for specialty crops, really, until recently, there hasn't been much federal incentive. You know, we, we don't, especially crop producers have not enjoyed the subsidy structures that field crop. So you think corn, bean, soy, alfalfa growers, dairy producers have enjoyed really since around the time of the New Deal. Um, more recently in the Farm Bill, which is the big piece of legislation that sort of sets all this up and is going into Congress right now, actually, um, every four years. <laughs> um, now it's more subsidies for crop insurance. I mean, that's really the direction the farm bill's gone in its last two cycles. Um, on the organic side, uh, we are seeing, and, and, and Kelly can probably talk to this, we've got a new USDA funding program to try to support workforce development, uh, to support um, certification costs to grow you know, organic producers. And that's the, the top program, which is transition to organic. What, what, there's two Ps, transition to organic program Partnership program, thank you. And, and actually, that's, that's part of the reason we're here with this podcast is because of that program. Um, oh, wow. So, there, so just in the last you know, couple of years, we've seen some federal support for organic programs and organic transition. Um, but you know, I would say it's not so much th that I think growers are incentivized to grow conventionally. It's that the governmental and market systems have grown up with conventional agriculture. Hmm. So it's, it's not, you know, oftentimes I think people think that, you know, the way farmers are doing this stuff is, you know, optional or it just sort of came into being. And the reality is, no, it's like every other human endeavor. There's a history behind it and there's a direction and there's a momentum behind it. And we're at this point, I think we're starting to finally really change our direction and momentum. But that takes time. 
And when you're dealing with a food system, you have to be really careful because if you try to rewire the entire food system overnight, one possible outcome is the collapse of the system. And that means nobody's eating. And that's really, really bad. Um, so it is this sort of gradual evolutionary process. But the, you know, I think the, the things that have really promoted the, you know, conventional agricultural system are this societal goal for cheap food cheap, affordable food, which yeah. really started with the Industrial Revolution and trying to get people off the farm and into factories. And so that's the that's the challenge that we're facing now is that we're recognizing that, well, cheap at the cash register, cheap at the production level does not mean cheap societally um, because there are all these externalities that, that end up happening. So it, those externalities could be, you know, animals suffering. They could be um, nutrient runoff into watersheds that lead to all kinds of problems. It could be burning up all the topsoil, reducing our future productivity. Um, it could be exploitation of labor. But the organic movement, I think, is, you know, this answer to that. It's, okay, well, maybe we can, maybe we can do things differently, but we're, we're all going to have to be part of that solution. It's yeah. not something that we can, the existing structures and systems that we built were built around this sort of design parameter, cheap food, period. Um, but cheap food is not cheap. So now we have to figure out how to rewire it and do it. Everything you said is so spot on. And I think when you're talking about like, why is a farmer incentivized to grow organic? A lot of it is the consumer demand and the buyer requiring it so the more that happens the more we're going to see it really yeah that is a really that's a really insightful conversation um that i think we're having i wanted to shift it over um to some person on the street interviews that our production team um has geared up they went around amy could you talk a little bit about um what those interviews were like yeah um so we asked two questions we asked like how long do people think it takes to get organically certified? And a lot of people like had like they had like no idea and like did not know, which is like fine. But like some people did know a little bit. And then like we also asked like, um, do they like trust the like organic like the seal? And like a lot of people were like, uh, I don't know, but like yeah, sure. Like <laughs> I don't know. It's very interesting. It was kind of funny. But um, yeah, it was pretty interesting. Um, just see. just for Kelly, Kelly, you may not be able to see the video, but you should be able to hear it, which is more impactful. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The question is, how long do you think it takes to be organic certified? Uh, three years. Yeah, you're right. Like eight years. Okay. Maybe less, like five. Okay, it takes three years. I have no idea. Maybe <laughs> a year. I have no idea. <laughs> Just take a guess, like any guess. I don't know, uh, a month maybe? I don't know. Organically certified? I'm not sure if I can say for certain, but I'm gonna take a guess and say one year. Okay, like maybe two years? Uh, I honestly, I have no idea. Uh, like, a year? Four years. Okay. And do you trust the organic certification process? Uh questionable like moderately i would say uh yeah i do okay awesome yeah yeah i don't see why not i don't know what the process <laughs> is but yes i just wanted to say from a communications perspective um 
we get back to the idea of getting that information out to the public because one of the things that people need to understand is the meaning behind organic certification. Uh, people, uh, I, I'm broad brushing this, of course. I think a lot of people believe, you know, the marketing behind the word organic. Oh, this is organic. Mm -hmm. That's organic. But they don't really understand what it means for food to be organic. Or the idea that there is regulation behind that uh, saying the word organic. I knew no Matt for sure continuously tells us, you know, there's a 10K fine for for saying that your food is organic and it's really not. And I find that funny because I think, uh, and it's per unit of packaged product. It's it's per incident. Yeah. Per, per so incident. I, I don't necessarily think it would be like if you had, you know, you know, 50 bags of carrots um, at, at a farm stand or something. I don't think they'd fine you $10,000 per bag of carrots, but they'd farm you for being at the market that day and claiming that you were organic. But, but Kelly can probably, might, might have a better understanding of that. Yeah, sure. So, well, first I, I want to just address in terms of how long it takes. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> land requires a transition of three years from the date of last prohibited material application. So if you've had land for the last three years that you know you never applied anything to or the only thing applied was like your animals raw manure or something, then it's not going to take you three years to get certified. You can apply and get inspected and hopefully move on right away. Mm -hmm. it, there, there's a huge component of organic certification centered around integrity. So for instance, there's a huge public records database of all the certified operations and it's called the organic integrity database and the reason integrity goes on and on is because the farmer is telling us when that last date of primitive material application applied and that's what we go on we can go on pesticide use reports and we go inspect it and we can we have trained inspectors who can kind of detect things we could do testing ourselves but ultimately that that transition period is based on them communicating to us when that last data prohibited material application occurred. You know, and for livestock, um, it's also different. It, your animals, if you have ruminants, you know, they have to be managed organically from their last third of gestation, but poultry can be managed organically from their second day of life. So in terms of how long it takes, it's so operation specific. And the biggest thing I want to emphasize, if anyone's interested in getting certified, is it's really dependent on the operations completeness of their application and their knowledge of their activities and their records. You know, if you submit an application and you don't have any specific input materials listed, you just list like Pyganic or this brucellosis vaccine, but like, we don't know which one, you know, there's a lot of back and forth that has to happen to really get down to what exactly is happening there. Or it's if you're telling the third Sorry, it's just a very thorough process I'm, I'm gathering and it, it seems like the more record keeping your operation has, the better and the, the more fast tracked you can be um, to achieve that certification, depending on what, what spe if you're doing livestock, what species you have um, and really just how complete your operation is. Yeah, absolutely. You want to be as complete as possible and as communicative and, and available as possible, I'd say. And in terms of what the seal means, it's so interesting. Like when I tell people <laughs> what I do, I get so many questions like, oh, does that mean you work in a lab? Like they think I'm just testing food constantly. <laughs> and that's how I <laughs> 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 it's like, 
So, or like, oh, that means no pesticides, right? And it's like, no, it doesn't actually. There are, there's a list of synthetic and non-synthetic materials that are prohibited and allowed in organic production. And that's what folks can use. And that includes certain pesticides. You know, pesticide itself has taken on this like really unique, like stigma, but ultimately like things can be used as pesticides that are non-synthetic or that are deemed really not harmful to us. So it's, um, it's just been interesting, all the misconceptions. So I think this sort of work to get out and communicate all this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have I have one last discussion question, kind of kind of building off of um, what Kelly was mentioning. Uh, what's the importance of like ensuring that organic certification to consumers, um, and really just um, from an agcom standpoint as well? Like, what does it mean to be organic certified, and what does that mean for the consumer, and how can we educate them better on what that means in terms of certification and policy? I could take that as a as an agcom perspective. Um, you know, we don't want consumers to be blind consumers, right? Mm-hmm. So if 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 we just present, remember we were talking about this in class. If we present two apples and just said, "Hey, one of these is, is organic and the other one's conventional," which one would you choose? Um, they don't know. We're we're just giving them some information to work with, and they're taking it as you know. Uh, at face value. So they're assuming and, and taking the, the, the idea that organic means uh, a certain, or let me, let me recollect my thoughts. They're thinking in their minds that organic automatically means that they're getting a product that has been produced in a certain way. When in fact, not in fact, when I believe that uh, the average consumer may not have a good perspective of what goes into producing an organic product to make that determination mm-hmm. for themselves. And so as a result, when it comes to the cash register and they see the premium that's placed on that product, you know, um, again, probably back to our first episode, we talked about, you know, the average person having to make that hard decision with their children and their families. Um, but I also take what Kelly said. It's, it's really a, a, an intrinsic motivation to see the wider picture of agricultural production and wanting to change the world and, and in future tense, in future tense. Mm-hmm. So... For me, uh, from the communications perspective, from this episode, I would say that if we were to do like a communication strategy on what organic means, I would focus on the idea of telling consumers what goes into organic certification and when they purchase an organically certified product, what they're giving to that farmer and also to the future. Uh, as well as, you know, I would also tell them if they're purchasing a product that's quote unquote organic, make sure that they can, you know, ask the right questions about like the organic process and, and what that means to them. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I just was going to add in terms of what it means to be certified organic. You know, of course, there's the organic regulations. They have to comply with them. But what does that actually look like? It's so involved. I cannot imagine like I can't imagine calculating how many people have said to me like is it real though is it really real (laughs) and it's like I just wish they would sit at my desk for one day and just see the extent to which it's real they'd be like you're actually looking at that like we're literally looking at a clean truck record like oh this organic livestock feed was transported by this transport company let me see a record showing that truck was cleaned out before like like rinsed before that feed was loaded you planted seed what's the seed treatment on that tiny seed that you planted was it coated with anything was it pelletized like 
everything. I mean, the the in, if if you're feeding like a feed mineral, and there's salt in that mineral, like the the custom blend, right? It's got like soy meal and salt and calcium carbonate and all kinds of stuff, nutrients. I'm gonna contact the manufacturer and say, is there any synthetic anti-caking agent on that salt, like yellow preciate of soda? Do you know the tiny amount of salt that that animal is even consuming? And I'm asking if there's a little caking, an anti-caking agent on that salt. So it's like just this constant deep dive on these little nitty gritty things. And then also really big picture things like in their organic system plan, like all the confinement, all the crop rotation, the harvest, the sales, the storage, every link in that chain is so verified. And so that farmer went through a lot to get that verification and prove their compliance in all these ways. And it's really involved. And I wanna say the people doing this work are all human. Like they might make a mistake, their staff person might accidentally apply the wrong material or they might buy something and not realize like the manufacturer sold them the wrong label or whatever it is, you know? And we work with them and develop a plan moving forward. So earlier when you were talking about civil penalties, you know, if an operation's willfully misrepresenting product as organic, that follows a certain penalty matrix for, for, for the certifier to pursue adverse action. And that could be a revocation and that could be civil penalties. But it takes a very specific, another specific chain of events to get there. Um, so generally, we're going out there for an annual inspection. We're reviewing everything that they're doing and we're letting them know, hey, we have some additional concerns or you're non-compliant in this way or, hey, everything looks good. It's a whole range of possibilities every time. Definitely. And it, it's such an in-depth process of um, certifying everything like you were talking about. And I think that that just makes it even more important to communicate that to consumers about all of the hard work and the verification that producers have to complete to get that product from farm to table. So I just think that from an ICOM standpoint, like Dr. Mike was saying, it's just that much more important um, to show how hard these producers are working to create this product for us all to enjoy. Yeah, and I, I mean, I would mirror that statement. I mean, I, I really think that one of the wonderful opportunities that consumers' interest in organic products provides us is it gives us an opportunity to engage them in a conversation about where their food comes from. And, you know, I, I think earlier in the podcast I said, you know, we beginning at the Industrial Revolution, we sort of, you know, we focused on cheap food and getting people out of agricultural communities and into cities to work in factories. I mean, that was that was a major cultural drive in in our our history here in the United States. But with that, you know, we lost this connection to where our food comes from, and Definitely. and ultimately, whether you're ignorant of your connection to the food system or you're very um, intentional about it, all of us, if we eat we are engaged in this incredible system and and you know for me that's why these podcasts are important that's where i think these conversations around organic agriculture regenerative agriculture are so vital because it gives us an opportunity to say okay well maybe you're three four generations out of you know seriously producing food but this system you're still an integral part of the system it affects you in a, in a very intimate way here's a chance to learn a little bit more about it and really engage with it and, and get involved in this conversation about, well, maybe cheap food is not a great goal. Maybe, maybe it's not really cheap. 
maybe maybe there are other ways to do this. So let's start having a conversation about how do we how do we do that in a just in a just, equitable, and um, accessible manner so that we can all benefit as a society. Yeah. Definitely. I think that's a great way. Uh, that's a that's a great place to close out the conversation today. Um, thank you again, um, Kelly, from um, the California Certified Organic Farmers um, Association for helping us um, foster this conversation today. It was it was very important and very insightful. Um, and really just thank you for having um, having a spot on the ha thank you for um, coming onto the show today and giving your insight and your expertise. Absolutely. Thanks for this great dialogue. I learned a lot from you all, too. So thank you for sharing. Oh, hooray. Thanks, Kelly. Um, and again, the panelists, Dr. Grishop, Dr. Mike, um, Amy, um, all super helpful today. Thank you again. Um, and that is our time today at Live in 225. We will see you next. We'll see you on Friday for another episode. <laughs> Signing <Bye>. off. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Live in 225 is a production of the AGC 225 class at Cal Poly called Digital Communications and Agriculture. Program funding was provided by the California Certified Organic Farmers Foundation and the Transition to Organic Partnership Program. Our production team for this episode was Amy Walker, Haley Evans, and Gracie Bell. Our director for season one was Bella Anushian. Our host was Natalie Victorine. The executive producer, creator, and co-editor for the show was Moses Mike. Matt Greeshop was our co-producer. Our guest for this episode was Kelly Corman from CCOF. Our audio technician was Melissa Frago, who was also our managing editor. The video switching director was Cole Stevens. Our vocal talent was Jared Mandrell. Background music by LVY Music from Pixabay. Intro and outro music by Alex Grohl from Pixabay. Thanks for joining us.